You got to hold a baby? It's, it, it's about your turn again, isn't it, on the staff? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, uh, welcome. My name is uh, Bud Brainerd. I am the community pastor here at Lake Forest Davidson. Uh, Michael is on uh, study leave this week, so uh, I get to be with you, and that's great. Uh, you are seated in this circle with people, some of whom are very cautious about the church and about Jesus, probably for good reason. There are others of you in this circle who are curious about Jesus. You have a lot of questions about God, about the Holy Spirit. We're glad that you're here. Others are here because they're fully committed to following Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum. All that matters is that this is a safe place for you to learn and to grow and to change. As long as you don't have it all together, you're going to fit right in. So today we are uh, continuing our sermon series on the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And my assignment today is to unpack the text that was read for you earlier by Georgia from John chapter 16. So before we get into that, let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we are uh, grateful to you for an opportunity to gather ourselves once again around your word. We ask that your spirit would be our teacher today and that you would reveal yourself to us. You would teach us about who we are in Christ and show us, Lord, what you're doing in the world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start right at the beginning. John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, as a parent and uh, as a grandparent, by the way, we had our fourth uh, grandchild this last Tuesday uh, in Atlanta. Yes, yes. Patrick Lewis Brainerd, and, uh, and he came about a week late, so he's a typical Brainerd. He's just going to do things on his own schedule. But as a parent and a grandparent, I've realized that one of my goals is to make sure that my children and my grandchildren have every advantage that I can provide for them. Having an advantage is a good thing. Being able to take advantage of as many opportunities as possible is important. And sometimes, sometimes just one opportunity can make the difference between a mediocre life and a life that is extraordinary. The advantage that Jesus is talking about in this text is the quintessential example of just that kind of advantage. And so we're going to unpack that this morning. But before we get into that, we, we ought not to get too far ahead of ourselves. And so I'm going to ask you to all go back with me. I want you to imagine that you are there the day that Jesus is making this speech to his disciples. Imagine that you 
You are one of the twelve. Imagine that you have been with him practically day and night for three years. You have seen him teach. Do you remember that Sermon on the Mount? That was a really good one. You were there and you watched him pray. As a matter of fact, he taught you how to pray. You've seen him perform miracles. You, you've, watched him, you've watched him make the lame walk and the blind see. You've watched him make the deaf hear. You watched him embrace that leper and then heal him. So the list could go on and on. Do you, do you remember that day when you were just outside of that little podunk town, what was its name? Nain. And, and you were walking with Jesus, and Jesus said, we need, to, we need to stand to the side of the road because there's a funeral procession going by, and we need to show our respect. And Jesus was so moved by the grief of the mother that he brought her son back to life. You're probably hoping that the mission would never end. Probably hoping that Jesus is going to be with you forever. But the realist in you knows that that's not possible. You're going to die. Jesus is going to die. Everybody dies. In you're starting to come to grips with the fact that you're going to be left without a teacher. You're going to be left without a shepherd. You're going to be left without his presence. Why does he have to go? How can you possibly be better off if Jesus leaves the scene? That's our question today. Wouldn't it be better if Jesus were here in the flesh? Wouldn't his words have more impact? Wouldn't, be, wouldn't we be more inclined to follow him? How can we possibly be better off if Jesus leaves the scene? Well, Jesus' answer is pretty direct. He says, the helper will come to you. I'm going to send him to you. And so the question has to come, who's the helper? And the answer to that question is, the helper is God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And here's why it's to our advantage that Jesus leaves and sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is 
the presence of the risen Christ. Jesus is still present. It is true that he is no longer physically present with us. Now he is in us by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Just a few chapters before 16, in chapter 14 of John's Gospel, this is what, this is what Jesus says. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. You know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And yet a little while and the world will see you no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father. And you are in me, and I in you. What Jesus is saying is so profound that it's really hard for us to get our mind around. There is this dynamic, indwelling relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is saying is that you and I are going to be included. We're going to be included in that relationship. Now that has a number of important ramifications. First, if Jesus is in the Father and we are in Jesus, then we are in the Father. Being united to Jesus means that you will never, ever be separated from God the Father. Second, if Jesus is in us, as one early church father, a fellow named Ignatius said, the incarnation is continuing and ongoing. Human beings, we have this need to have a God with skin on. We have that need. We need to have God physically real and touchable. Physicality is important in any relationship, and it's especially important in the most important relationship, and that's our relationship with God. So where is this touchable God? Where is God with skin on? Where is the body of Christ? He's seated right next to you. The body of Christ is seated right next to you. You and I are now the incarnate presence of Jesus Christ. I told you this was a profound truth. And admittedly, it's hard to grasp and it's even harder to hold on to. But when the scripture talks about believers being the body of Christ, it is not speaking metaphorically. It is not speaking figuratively. 
It is not an analogy. It is not an allegory. It is not a symbolism. It is not a simile. It is a fact. It is a reality that Scripture is describing. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we are the physical presence of Jesus in the world. And that should blow your pea-picking mind. Now, this is an advantage to the world. Because the presence of the Savior is no longer limited by time and space. When Jesus was here walking those dusty roads in Israel, he could only be in one place at one time. But the advantage to the world now is that Jesus is everywhere his people are. Jesus is no longer limited to a single time zone or a single continent or a single town. Jesus is everywhere his people are. The third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, is known by many names in Scripture. He is called the Spirit of Grace, the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of Adoption, the Spirit of Glory, the Spirit of Life. But John uses two titles for the Holy Spirit in our text today. The first one is the Spirit of Truth. John uses he likes that title. He uses it four times in his gospel. But John also makes it clear that truth is not an idea or a concept. Truth is a person. The Spirit of Truth is the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Father, So he uses this spirit of truth. Jesus himself describes himself this way in John's gospel. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Now the second word that John uses in our text for today is translated into a number of different English words depending on the translation you read. Sometimes it's counselor, sometimes it's helper, sometimes it's advocate. It's the Greek word paraclete. Now, it's not parakeets. And it's not a pair of cleats. It's paraclete. That's the word. It's a courtroom term. A paraclete is one who speaks in defense of someone else. A paraclete is somebody who makes the case for someone else. So I ask myself, is the role of the Holy Spirit to defend the Christian? If the Spirit lives in me, is the Holy Spirit's role to defend me? Or is the Holy Spirit's role to defend someone else, to make the case for someone else? If it's not me, if it's not us, then who is the Spirit advocating for? And the answer is, remember, you're in church. What's always the answer? Jesus. That's right. The Holy Spirit's role is to make the case for Jesus. 
As a matter of fact, John 15, 26, Jesus says, When the paraclete comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Then in John 14, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The Spirit has a very specific role. The Spirit makes the case for Jesus by bringing the Scriptures to life for those who believe and by helping people remember what Jesus has said and done. So I want us to consider for just a moment how the Spirit defends Jesus in what he said and what he did. First of all, in the lives of those who do not yet believe. And then secondly, in the lives of those in whom the Spirit dwells. So the Spirit's work in the lives of those who do not yet believe, here's what John says. This is what uh, Georgia read for us earlier. When he comes, the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I don't know about you, but the first time I read that, it was very confusing. I had no idea what Jesus was talking about. So I've had to live with this text for a long time to get any insight. It reminded me, the, the thought that came to mind is when I was in seminary, I had a, a professor of theology uh, named Shirley Guthrie. And, uh, and Shirley was one of the most kind-hearted persons, uh, gentle spirits that I've ever met. And, uh, and we were studying this scripture one day. And Shirley Guthrie said, Yeah, God is out to get those dirty, nasty Christians. What? God is out to get people? He said, yes. But not for the reason you think. God is not out to get people because he wants to punish them. God is out to get them because he wants to bring them home. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. God doesn't want sinners to be cast away. He wants sinners to come home. He loves the world. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through, the, through Jesus the world might be saved through him. And so that's why John uses a very specific word here, conviction. It's not the word condemnation. That's a different word. He uses the word conviction. Conviction as opposed to condemnation. Condemnation is to judge somebody guilty and to render them subject to punishment. Conviction is very different. Conviction is to rebuke, to reproach, to indicate somebody has done something wrong but it can also mean to set right, to point away from sin into repentance. Now repentance, we've talked about this many times, repentance literally means to change your mind, to change what you 
believe, to change how you think. And the Spirit convicts the world concerning sin. Now, maybe you haven't thought about it this way, but sin is a word that presupposes the existence of God. Sin is a word that presupposes the existence of God. It's one of the reasons why we do not believe that those who don't believe in God have no concept of sin. It's one of the reasons why in our culture, on the face of this blue planet, everybody thinks that something is wrong. Everybody acknowledges that things are not the way they're supposed to be. But those people who don't believe in God never make the connection between the way things are and the power of sin in the world. Sin actually explains it pretty well. Those of you who've been in Welcome 101 are familiar with this quote out of John Stott's book, Basic Christianity. Here's what he says. He says, much of what we take for granted in a civilized society is based upon the assumption of human sin. Nearly all legislation has grown up because human beings cannot be trusted to settle their own disputes with justice and without self-interest. A promise is made, that's not enough. We need a contract. Doors are not enough. We need to lock them. The payment of fares is not enough. We have to issue tickets and we have to collect those tickets and inspect them. Law and order are not enough. We need the police to enforce them. All of this is due to human sin. We cannot trust each other. We need protection against one another. It is a terrible indictment of human nature. So once somebody becomes open to considering the possibility that sin may be the problem, and they understand that it is sin that separates us from God and from one another, it is sin that destroys relationships, the next question is, how can our relationships be repaired? How can they be restored? How can we have a right relationship with God? And so it is the Holy Spirit who convicts the world concerning sin because they do not believe in Jesus. And Jesus is the only sure way to resolve the world's sin problem. The Holy Spirit also convicts the world concerning righteousness because Jesus goes on to the Father and the world will not see him any longer. What does Jesus being with the Father have to do with righteousness? Righteousness is that fancy 25-cent word that simply means being in a right, whole, healthy relationship. And Jesus has that relationship with God the Father. It is Jesus who lived the sinless life. He is in the Father. Jesus is not separated from God. He's sitting right next to him. I know we teach our kids, where is Jesus? Jesus lives in my heart. He lives in our heart through the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, the God-man, the one who is fully God and fully man, is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where Jesus is. That's what Scripture tells us. 
He made us right with God by paying the full penalty for our sins. And even though we cannot see him, we know his very presence with the Father is a sign of our being present with the Father. Remember what Jesus said, in that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. The Spirit also convicts the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world, the evil one, the liar, the thief, the destroyer of lives has been judged. He's been judged and he's been defeated. He has been overcome. In John 12, Jesus says, Now now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Judgment is unavoidable. It is absolutely unavoidable unless the Holy Spirit makes it clear to you the advantage of trusting in Jesus and his work of reconciliation on the cross. Being in Christ, trusting in what Jesus has done on the cross, gets you a pass from judgment. Why? Because he was judged in your place. He took all of your sin upon himself. And he paid the price for your sins. Truly, truly, I say to you, he says in John 5, whoever hears my word, believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And so the Holy Spirit's role in the world is to bring conviction, not condemnation. The Holy Spirit points the unbelieving world to Christ, to his death, to his resurrection. And by bringing the message and the work of Jesus to the world, he convicts the world that they are wrong about sin. It is real. He, convict, he convicts them that they are wrong about righteousness. Righteousness is possible. And also about judgment. The judgment is avoidable. It's the Holy Spirit, often through the words and actions of those in whom he dwells, who makes the case for Jesus, showing the world that the only unforgivable sin is not believing in Jesus. That's the only unforgivable sin. Is the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit, through the words and actions of those whom he dwells, who convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. So to those who do not yet believe, I want to invite you to fully investigate the claims of Jesus. And here's why. If Jesus' claims turn out not to be true, then you have eliminated one option of being in a right relationship with God, and so you've got to find another way. But if Jesus' claims turn out to be true, then you have found the one and the only way of being made right with God. And you will never again need to live in fear of standing before him. So that's the role of the Holy Spirit in the world. But there's also a role of the Holy Spirit in those who believe. 
When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So if you've trusted in Christ, here's what the Spirit does in your life. The first thing the Spirit does is He guides you into all truth. Truth being the person of Jesus. He's not going to lead you off on some wild goose chase. He's not going to give you weird thoughts. He's going to point you to Jesus. That's His role. If you ever feel like you've, you've lost your way, and believers, I've had this experience many times in my life where I felt like I've lost my way. It's the Holy Spirit who points me to the way and the truth and the life. He glorifies Jesus. He defends Jesus. He makes the case for Jesus. He helps us remember what Jesus has said and what he has done. He authenticates Jesus' message about his life, death, and resurrection. Not only to those who believe, but also to those who do not yet believe. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. He does this by pointing us to him, by showing him to us, and by uniting us with him forever. So being able to take uh, advantage of as many opportunities as possible is important. And sometimes one opportunity can make the difference between an extraordinary life and a mediocre life. The advantage that Jesus is talking about is just such an opportunity. To ask the Holy Spirit to fill your life. to ask the Holy Spirit to constantly remind you of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Imagine having the very Spirit of God not just with you, but in you. God loves the world, and by sending the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the paraclete, God has given us all the advantage that we need. So I close with this question for you to ponder and to answer for yourselves. Are you living an extraordinary life or a mediocre one? And have you taken every advantage that Jesus offers you? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful today that Jesus did return to you and that he sent the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we need to not forget that the Spirit lives in us 
we are the body of Christ. We are Jesus with skin on. And we don't do that perfectly. Because our old nature continues to crop up. But we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to do it better. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship.